Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. Today we're going to be concluding our series where we've been looking at what is the church. You can remember all the way back to August when it was very hot (laughs) and we were sitting out here and I was sweating the first week and we decided we were going to spend some time asking the question biblically, what is the church? Uh, It seemed like a good idea because we had vacated our building. We were not meeting in our building. We were out here and very often people think of the church as a building, which biblically it is not. Uh, other than the temple of God, but it's not a building. So we've been asking, what is the church? And we're going to conclude today by looking at the church as God's people on mission together. And so you can see there in the booklet, we've got the the two texts for today. Uh, They are Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 19, and Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. So I'm going to read these two passages together, and then we're going to work through them to hear God's word on what it means for us to be God's people on mission together. So hear now the word of the living God. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in the very closing verses of Luke's gospel in Luke 24, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Uh, This week, as I was thinking about this text and the concept of us being on mission together, I was looking up something that is referred to as an endoheric lake or basin. Does anybody here have any idea what an endoheric lake or basin is? Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't figure you would. I didn't know the term either. You will understand when I describe it. It's a... Basically, it's a lake or a basin that doesn't have any outflow. They're usually very, very salty. So, for example, in America, the Great Salt Lake is this way. There's input, but there's nowhere for the water to go. With evaporation, it becomes very salty. The Bonneville Salt Flats up near the uh, Great Salt Lake. I remember years ago, Tim and I were actually driving through there when he was moving to Cheyenne. It is the most desolate place. There is so much salt, nothing can survive. 
Uh, actually, Death Valley is considered one. But one of the most famous ones for us biblically, which I've mentioned before, is the Dead Sea. Very interestingly, in Israel, there's two main seas. The Sea of Galilee, which is full of life, and then down the river is the Dead Sea. Same water flowing in, but because it's an endoheric lake, there's no outflow. Its salt content is so high, virtually nothing can live there. In fact, if you and I got in it for a while, it would ultimately kill us. And this is because the great principle that God has woven into the universe based on his nature as the Holy Trinity, God is always flowing out. He is always giving life. He is always loving and serving. And so everything in creation is meant to be that way. And when something only has inflow and there's no way for it to go out, over time it begins to shrink and shrivel and die. And so this is true of individuals. Last week, as we saw, the church is to be the community of servanthood. You and I are called to be servants. And if we're not, it's going to shrivel up our spiritual life. But today we want to look at the fact that the church corporately is on mission together. Now we're concluding, we've been looking at these few questions in our church catechism. And again, we have a few visitors a catechism is an old sounding word. It just means it's kind of a question and answer format to understand the basics of the faith. And one of the questions we ask regarding the Christian life in question 71 is, are Christians only called to be part of the universal church? And the answer is no, all Christians are be call, called to be part of local churches where they are led and cared for by elders, worship uh, God, learn the scripture, receive the sacraments, pray together, serve one another, and then this is the key phrase for today, and carry out the Great Commission together. That's what we are called to do. So I want to take a little bit of time and look at what this means. Now, if you notice, I picked two texts in Luke's Gospel, and I did this because these are the bookends of Jesus' public ministry. His ministry in public begins in Luke chapter 4. We're hearing what is really his first sermon. And then Luke chapter 24, the other text, is Jesus' final words in the gospel. And so Luke here is showing us by what's the beginning and what's the end, what is central to what Jesus is doing and calling us to do. And so notice in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus is there in the synagogue, and this is a typical thing. They had scripture readings that were done every Sabbath. They would read together, but then whoever was going to speak would get to pick one of the prophetic writings to kind of illuminate what had been read out of the law. And so Jesus unrolls to the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads the words in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And so notice here, first off, I found it interesting that it, we're told uh, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath as was his custom. I encourage you just to note that as a believer. Uh, if the eternal Son of God believed it needed to be his custom to week after week after week gather with the people of God, hear the word of God, sing and worship God, pray with the people of God. If Jesus needed that, friends, so do you and so do I. Secondly, notice Jesus selects this passage to begin his public ministry 
And the passage says, the spirit of the Lord is on me as the Messiah. Everybody knew this was a messianic text. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me, but he's on me to do a particular thing. The spirit of the Lord is on me so that I can preach the gospel. The spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news. The word again, the Greek word is the word gospel. It's on, he is on me to preach the gospel. And notice, he, to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of jubilee. All of these are saying that the Spirit of the Lord is on me so that I can preach the gospel so that people can be set free. That is what Jesus' ministry is, and it's the prophetic summary. Jesus is saying, look, if I had to pick one thing in the Old Testament that tells you who I am and what I'm here to do, this is what it is. I have come to proclaim the gospel. In fact, if you read a little bit further in Luke chapter 4, he's healing in a village and everybody's wanting him to stay. And Jesus says, no, look, we got to go to the other villages because I got to go preach the gospel because that is why I came. He came to proclaim the gospel and then, of course, to enact the gospel by living and dying for us. But notice when you get to the very end of the gospel, Jesus has lived, he's died in our place, he's been raised, and he's getting ready to ascend to his Father. And we're told that he opens the disciples' minds so they can understand the Old Testament. And he says, I want you to understand, this is what is written. The Christ was going to suffer. He was going to uh, rise from the dead on the third day. And then repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So he ends the gospel with Jesus giving the Great Commission. And he's saying, I told you right at the beginning, the very first sermon I did, the Spirit of the Lord was on me so I could preach the gospel. I'm now telling you, I'm returning to the Father. You're going to continue the same mission that I had, except for where I stayed right here within a relatively small area, you're going to go to the entire earth with the gospel. So the church is to continue the ministry of Jesus, taking the gospel to all people so that they can be set free. There's no other way for your neighbors and my neighbors to be set free apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we've been praying each Sunday this month for the persecuted church, there's no other way for those people who are persecuting the church. They are trapped. They are blind. They do not understand the truth. And our deepest prayer is not that they would be judged, but that their eyes would be opened and they would be set free. But the only way for that to happen is through the proclamation of the gospel. And notice Jesus again says, but before you go off and do this, you need to wait in Jerusalem because the Father is going to give you the gift that I've been telling you about. The Spirit's going to come upon you. The Spirit anointed me to preach. The Spirit's going to anoint you to preach. And so the call to be anointed with the Spirit and to take the gospel and set uh, gospel forth and set people free forms the bookends of Jesus' entire ministry in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke says, in case you miss it there... Luke wrote a second book, the book of Acts, and he does the exact same thing in the book of Acts. He brings up the exact same points. So 
in Acts chapter 1. We get Jesus literally as he is ready to ascend to the Father. And in Acts chapter 1, 8, in Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascends, he says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the same exact message uh, that had been spoken in Luke is now being spoken in the book of Acts. That you are to, you're going to be anointed by the Spirit and you're going to take the gospel forth. And this verse is actually the theme and the structure of the entire book of Acts. If you look at Acts, Acts 1 through 7 is the church in Jerusalem. Beginning in Acts 8, they go to Judea and Samaria. And then beginning in Acts 10, it's the gospel going to the ends of the earth. The entire book of Acts is a, a tale of the Spirit-empowered church carrying forth the gospel, doing the same ministry Jesus had done. And in fact, you get to the very last verse of Acts. It ends in a strange way. Paul's in jail. What we're expecting is we're going to hear the verdict. Is Paul going to be set free or is Paul going to die? But Luke doesn't tell us, probably because it hasn't happened yet, but he tells us this in Acts 28, 31. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. End of the two books. And so Luke has done the same thing in both books. Both of them begin with the call for the proclamation of the gospel, and they end with the statement regarding the proclamation of the gospel. So Paul preaching in Rome boldly and without hindrance and proclaiming Jesus and proclaiming the kingdom of God, Luke is saying, don't you understand? This is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, which is the fulfillment of Luke 24, which is the fulfillment of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 when he stood up and he did his very first sermon. The entire story written by Luke highlights the call of God's people to be filled and to be empowered with the Holy Spirit so that they can take the gospel forth into all the world. So let's take a minute. We're going to take just a couple of minutes and unpack what this means for our mission together so that we don't end up being like the Dead Sea or the Great Salt Lake, okay, with no life in us, but rather there is life flowing. How does that work? Well, there are a few things to see. Number one, we have to be empowered by the Spirit for mission. Again, notice, Jesus picks this text and says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has sent me, to, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. N notice these kind of things when this happens. Remind yourself who Jesus is. He is the eternal Son of God. He is God, the second person of the Trinity. When there was nothing there except for Father, Son, and Spirit, Jesus is there. This Jesus says, I am anointed with the Holy Spirit. When he becomes human, he says, if I'm going to accomplish the mission the Father has given me, I and my humanity need to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. I want to remind you the same thing I said about gathering God's people. If Jesus the sinless Son of God, needed to be filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit, friends, so do you and I. We have a deep 
need for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not surprising when you come to Luke 24, notice he specifically tells the disciples this. You're going to go out and you're going to take the gospel to all nations, but in verse 49 he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he meets them in uh at the time that they're getting ready for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you're going to go out and do the mission. And this certainly applied to the, the day of Pentecost for the early church. But it no less applies for you and I. This is a huge part of why we again gather each week. We are praying for God to speak to us and for the Holy Spirit to fill us. I hope, almost each and every week when we're finishing up with communion, I'm crying out for God to give the Holy Spirit to us. Friend, you and I cannot accomplish the mission of God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to be filled with the Spirit once. We need to be refilled each and every week as we gather, and we need to be refilled each and every day. Because your task is not to intellectually outsmart your neighbor. Your task is not to argue or talk somebody into this. You're speaking to dead bones. Our call is to take the gospel so that the dead live. And if you think you can do that in your own power, if I think I can do that in my own power, you are deceived. There is no amount of education. There's no amount of study that is going to do that. It is the supernatural power of God. But here's the good news. You're here right now because when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God had mercy by his Holy Spirit. And friend, if he can save you, he can save me, and he can save your neighbor. The same thing he did for you and me, he can do for our neighbors. So we need to be crying out constantly for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. More than anything else, we need the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, I remind you, if you read the book of Acts, you see that the thing that shocked the leaders in Jerusalem, the, the Jewish leaders, was, you remember, Peter and John and them are preaching, and they said, these are uncultured Galileans. They have no education. How are they speaking this way? The reason they're speaking that way is because the Holy Spirit is upon them. They go from a cowering group of cowards hiding behind closed doors. And when the Spirit comes upon them, they begin to proclaim the gospel powerfully. And they begin to see people converted and have their eyes open. Friends, we need this. We need to cry out to God every single day. Lord, fill me. Fill me fresh. Fill me new. Give me your spirit. Give me your power because I cannot do the mission apart from your spirit, but with your spirit, the mission can't fail. That's point number one. Number two, we are empowered to take the gospel forth. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is primarily about preaching the gospel. The greatest miracle you're ever going to be part of is watching somebody who is dead come to life. 
Watching somebody who is by nature an object of wrath becoming an object of mercy. Somebody who is part of the kingdom of darkness becoming part of the kingdom of light. There is no greater miracle than that. And that is what we are called to do. So notice Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Notice these verbs of proclamation, of speaking. Jesus here is saying, primary mission number one is that I am here to preach the kingdom of God. And if you read the Gospels, you see over and over again that Jesus is teaching. He is speaking the Gospel. He is calling people forth to repentance and faith. And he's doing all of this so that people can be set free. Because again, as we, as we looked at uh, just last week in servanthood, there is no slavery greater than slavery to sin. The people in our culture that are out there thinking they know what freedom is are just day by day adding another chain onto themselves. But thanks be to God, the gospel is powerful to break chains. And so Jesus says, I've been anointed to do this. And then he tells us we've got the same exact mission. This is what was written. Christ is going to die. He's going to be raised from the dead on the third day. And you are going to go forth and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name. But notice, it is a proclamation. The gospel must be proclaimed. And what's interesting, I encourage you to notice, is Jesus is telling him this is what was written. Now, where was it written that Jesus was going to die? Where was it written that he was going to be raised? Where was it written that the church was going to exist and go forth on this mission? It doesn't start in Luke's gospel. It's the Old Testament he's talking about. This has been the plan of God all the way back. It is God's plan when he reaches down to a pagan named Abram and says, you are my chosen instrument. I'm going to make covenant with you, and through you, all nations are going to get blessed. I'm going to set the people free. What they can't do, I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it through you, Abram. That is the call, and it has been the call of God's people all the way from them right down to now. So it really doesn't start with the Great Commission. It has always been the call. Jesus is simply reiterating it. We are carrying on the mission of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, calling people to repent and believe so that they can be forgiven of their sins. And so hear this, please. The spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel was central to the mission of Jesus, and it is always central to the mission of the church. It is always what we are to be about. And a church that replaces the proclamation of the gospel with practical tips for living or the call to simply minister to people's physical needs is a church that has radically disobeyed the God's call and failed at the mission of God. You don't need me to give you practical tips for living. You can find those on YouTube. And you can get people who probably got far better practical tips than me. And my wife says, amen. Okay, you don't need that. 
What we need is to hear God's word opened up to us and proclaimed to us and to remember and be reminded of the gospel. And that's exactly what we need to keep as central. Proclaiming the gospel of Christ must always be, and as long as I have breath, will be central to what Bay Ridge Christian Church is about. It is overwhelmingly about proclaiming the gospel. Now, with that being stated, let me move on to point three, which is that we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to meet people's physical needs. Okay, notice in Luke chapter four, Jesus says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointing me to preach good news to the poor. To proclaim, uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that means Jesus specifically addresses and takes the gospel to the poor. He specifically takes it to the captive, to the oppressed, to the marginalized. Now, this certainly includes people who are spiritually poor, people who are spiritually blind. But friends, it also includes those who are outcasts. We live in a world that pushes people aside, that marginalizes them. But every human being bears the image of God. The, the newest and least human being is of more value than any other thing in the universe because they are created in God's image and they bear that image. And we are to love and to care for them. And the natural overflow of the gospel. See, I began this by talking about that crazy word, endoheric lakes and basin. The natural thing when, when blessing comes in is that blessing's supposed to go out. When, when water flows in, it's got to flow out. And if it doesn't, everything starts to die. And when you and I have been blessed in Jesus Christ, the natural overflow is to meet whatever need we run into. Certainly the need of spiritually proclaiming the gospel, but also meeting the needs of people in this broken world. See, the sad thing is, there is more than enough food to go around. There's more than enough space. There's more than enough resources. The reason we have people hungry and marginalized and oppressed is not because there's not enough. It's because of the wickedness of humanity. It's because we are deeply broken. And the church is called, as we are taking the gospel forth, to step into those areas as well and to say, everyone else may deny your value, but we know you are the image of God. And therefore, in the name of Christ, we love and we serve. And this is also critical because if you think about it, in the beginning, see, God, let me put it this way, God likes matter. He likes stuff that the universe is made of. God likes your body. It was his idea. He didn't have to make us body and spirit, but he did. And he did not suddenly, when sin came into the picture, say, well, the whole idea of the material universe was a bad idea. It was not a bad idea. It was a good idea. It was his idea, and he likes it. And so the gospel addresses the whole person, 
because you were created by God, body and spirit, and God addresses you as body and spirit. And so the church goes forth on mission to body and to spirit. It is not an either or proclamation. The, the procl I mean, an either or choice. The proclamation of the gospel is always the central and primary call and mission of the church. But meeting physical needs of people is an essential part of loving our neighbor, of recognizing the image of God in people. And it's oftentimes used by God to open doors for the proclamation of the gospel. People suddenly know that we care about them because we take the time to do this. So it's not an either or proposition. Do we preach the gospel or do we care for people's needs? It's both. God made us body and spirit. The church ministers to body and spirit, and we call them both forth. And as we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, we suddenly see God setting right this broken world. Last area, and then we'll apply the word, is notice that we are empowered to reach out locally and around the world. We not only are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach and proclaim the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister to people physically as well, but we are also empowered to minister locally and globally. Notice in Luke 24, Jesus tells them, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, but beginning at Jerusalem. Notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Both texts start locally and both texts end globally. They are they're beginning where they are and then going out to, to the rest of the world. And so a healthy local church is always going to be reaching the local community where they live but supporting the global mission of God. Because the people of Annapolis bear the image of God, but so do the people in Africa and Asia and the Middle East and Europe and South America. Every one of them bears the image of God. And a church that is involved only locally is provincial and small-minded. The mission's far bigger than just Annapolis. But a church that is supporting the global mission, and we're all involved out there, but we don't do anything where we are locally, is idealistic, but in, in reality, is simply ignoring God's call right where they are. We're hiring somebody else to do it. We're called to do both. I want to encourage you, if you haven't paid attention to this before, and even if you can't come next week, Walk down into the building and notice the two prominent things in our lobby. Number one, when you walk in, there's a map of the world. And all the places we're engaged in mission around the world. And then turn to the right and look up here towards this field and notice that beautiful mural that Shavela painted of the docks. Because we are planted in Annapolis. And so we are called to Annapolis and we are called to the world. We are called to the farthest corners, but we are called to minister here locally. We are called to make sure that we are ministering to people's bodies, but we are called to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel. All of this is the mission of God, and it is why 
We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You may look around and say, we're not a great group. We're not huge. We're not this. But you have a great God. And he empowers you the same way he empowered the disciples. Anybody would have stood there on the day of Pentecost and put their money on that ragtag group and say, Rome will crumble and fall, but what you're starting today will continue on. You'd have been out of your mind to put your money on them unless you knew that the Holy Spirit was coming on them in power. And then you'd be out of your mind to bet on the Roman Empire and not the church of the living God. The same God that has kept the people of God time and again keeps you and I and he keeps us for mission and I want to encourage and challenge you we are in this time and I you know I am not looking forward to more and more restrictions to us not being able to do all the things we can do but I want you to know something we are going to be on mission COVID does not change the mission of God God did not wake up in 2020 and say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. He has known what is happening, and you and I are called to be on mission. Nothing better to do right now than go on the offensive. Go on and reach out for God's kingdom, doing the mission of God. So I want to talk about how we apply the word, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. I want to give three ways we can be part of the mission, every last one of us here. And please hear me, you can do this even if you are, you're listening by the internet right now because you can't even come out here and do this. You can be part of the mission. Number one, we are part of the mission through prayer. Okay, this, this again, this only happens by prayer prayer. One of the biggest problems in the American church is we are trying to accomplish spiritual mission with our natural physical abilities. That is not going to happen. It is going to happen by prayer. The mission is spiritual and we have to use spiritual resources to see it accomplished. I urge you, I, I say this regularly, when we are praying each week, we have a lot of prayer in our gatherings. Please, 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 join in the prayer please join in what tanya was praying for we have suffering brothers and sisters today in nigeria some christians are going to watch their home be destroyed probably some christian is going to die today there are billions Billions with a B that have little access to the gospel. If that doesn't propel us to pray, to cry out to God, that's what we need to be engaged in doing. Thanks be to God. If you know, having been walking with Jesus for 40 plus years now, I have seen things. Man, I remember when Korea had very little influence of the gospel. It's South Korea is the second greatest missionary sending country in the world. The fastest growing churches in the world right now, Iran, I think, is number two. Iran. 
Okay, but the gospel is spreading there. It is spreading in Afghanistan. And you and I may not be able to get to that place, but we can sure pray. And we can be part of that. And we can affect. So I urge you every single day, pray for God's mission, locally and globally. Be part of what God is doing. We need to expand our prayers. Sometimes I think Christians struggle to pray and we find it boring because our prayers are so small. They're so restricted to my little thing. And, you know, and, and, and you know, I kind of think this thing might happen anyway, but I feel like I should ask Jesus that maybe he needs to do it. If you're struggling like that, start praying for God's global missionary cause. Find the countries where the gospel is not yet penetrating and pray for it every single day. We need to be people of prayer. That is primarily why we're called to prayer. So that's number one. Number two, we are part of the mission through giving. One of the reasons we give to the local church is so that it can be on mission, both locally and globally. If you're newer to Bay Ridge, you should be aware. Of every penny that comes in, 14.5% of it goes out to missions work. And it actually ends up usually being more than that. Most years it ends up being 17 or 18% of it going out to mission. We're trying to put our money where our mouth is. It is absolutely essential that we are doing that. Because see, where you and I invest our treasure, where we invest our treasure, our money, it shows what we truly value. It's a, it's a two-way door. Jesus said, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Friend, where I put my treasure shows you where my heart is, and where I put my treasure shapes where my heart will go. Am I involved and engaged in what God is doing globally? Not the time to restrict. It is the time to engage and do. So I encourage you to invest in God's global mission through your finances. First to the local church. If you're listening to this on the internet and you're part of some other congregation, I encourage you first and foremost, give to where you were called to do, but then also to other groups as well, going around the world. And I want to encourage you as you're giving, don't think of it as like a bill. Okay, there's nothing excited when I make sure BG&E gets paid for my electricity. It would be exciting if I don't make sure they're paid for my electricity, but that's not exciting. But it ought to excite you and I when we get to give to God's global mission, when we get to be part of that. It is so exciting when, when each year our missions team, they're going to be coming up and doing this at the end of December, they're going to be getting to deciding on where all the extra money they've got left that's been set aside goes out to the missionaries. And if you've ever seen one of the missionaries, when they realize that this extra gift is given and it is propelling them forward in mission, what a privilege to support God's global cause. Prayer, giving, and then the third area is part of the mission through service. Again, we don't just let somebody else do it for us. We are called to be part of the mission personally. And so we're actually called to put our own sweat into the mission, not just pray and give so that others can do it, but we get engaged and do it. For some people, that might include short-term missions work, whether here in the States or somewhere else. For all of us, it requires that we're part of reaching out to our local community. 
We've been doing the pop-up pantries. We got a couple more of those left. There will be further opportunities regarding that and other things in the future. But we've been engaged with Lighthouse Shelter for years. We can't do uh, winter relief right now this year because of, again, things are COVID, but we're working and trying to figure out how we can continue serving that way. The time will come when we will get to do the Easter egg hunt again, when we will get to go down to the county fair and engage people there with the gospel, with the, the Bible display that Mark does. We're praying about other ways right now. We have a growing population right here in our county and area. We have a growing Spanish-speaking population. And thanks be to God, Bay Ridge has got new folks that are coming in as primary language of Spanish. What is God calling us to do about that? I urge you to be praying and figuring out how we can partner together. There is no lack of need. We are never, until Jesus has burst through the clouds, you and I are not going to look around and say, hmm, I can't figure out anything that needs me to be laboring on. Never going to be that way. There will always be something. And that's a glorious thing. Because the day that we are not flowing out, you're going to stop being the Sea of Galilee and you're going to start being the Dead Sea. It is for your own joy to minister and serve to others. It is to the joy and the blessing of this church to, uh, to be used by God to serve others. We're going to end the meeting in a moment the way we always do, which is I'm going to say you've been blessed. Go forth and what? Be a blessing. That is the pattern. Friends, we love our God. We connect with others. We serve his church and we reach the world. And that propels us right back into loving our God, worshiping together, connecting with others. We do all that together. So we're going to come to the Lord's table and we're going to celebrate the gospel. I encourage you to, uh, you're going to need to have your packet. But before you do, we're going to stand up together and we're going to do a confession out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we're going to confess the faith together. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table together, asking the Holy Spirit to minister to us. So if you can get your booklet open, you can see there where we've got from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to confess this together. And then come to the Lord's table uh, with one another. And I do want to say if you are a visitor here, you are welcome to come to the Lord's table with us if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe what we are about to confess. So church, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Friends, this is the faith we profess. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. If you believe this faith, I invite you to the table of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
And he said, this is my body. Do this uh, in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for your sins. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, when you took flesh and walked among us, the Spirit was upon you, anointing you to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We freely and openly acknowledge that because of our sin, which we inherited as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and which we have freely chosen time and again, we acknowledge that we were spiritually poor, we were enslaved by sin, and we were blinded to your glory. We were oppressed by the devil, owing a debt we could not pay without any hope of recovery, restoration, or salvation. But by the Spirit, we have heard your voice and we have believed the good news. So we take this now in faith, proclaiming that your broken body has made us whole and has set us free. Friends, take and eat. Lord Jesus, the price for sin is high. So high that the psalmist proclaimed, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. No mere mortal could pay the debt that we owed. But Jesus, you are no mere mortal man. You are the eternal Son of God, and you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Your blood was shed for us, satisfying and paying in full God's holy justice, ransoming and redeeming us, setting us free from sin, Satan, and death. So we take this cup in faith, acknowledging the truth of the gospel. All of this is ours, not by our works or blood, but by yours, O Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Friends, why don't we stand together, and I'm going to pray for us, and then speak a word of blessing and benediction, and we can go forth 
on mission together. So I encourage you, cry out with me. Holy Father, through the gospel, we are your people. Through the work of Jesus, we are heirs of all your covenant promises, filled with every spiritual blessing. And having received all of these blessings through Christ, we long to go forth and be a blessing to others. So as you anointed Jesus with your spirit of power, so anoint us now. As you sent him forth to proclaim the good news, send us forth now. As you used him to heal the broken, to care for the outcast, so use us now. Oh God, open doors for us this week that no man can shut, that we may serve others in love and proclaim the good news of salvation to them. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of not only being your people, but being empowered by your Holy Spirit so that we might be your workers in this world. Strengthened by your word and this sacrament, we renew our commitment to see this gospel proclaimed from Annapolis to the ends of the earth. Lord, to this, we commit our prayers, we commit all of our earthly belongings, and we commit our labor in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May God fill your hearts with joy as you labor for him. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.